from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, welcome to the program, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And, of course, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you. Looking forward to getting into all of the uh, hot news stories of the day with you. And uh, getting your opinions on everything. Now, I uh, want to uh, start off with uh, a, a little bit of an aside, right? A little bit of an aside here. Because the, the there's so much news. <laughs> it, it's kind of hard to, to know where to start, right? Uh, I mean, you've got the, the, the Brits that are kind of upset with Joe Biden for walking ahead of, of uh, King Charles. And I guess that only happened when people noticed because it happened and everybody turned a blind eye to it. And they were still angry at Trump when he took a, uh, a few steps ahead of Queen Elizabeth, right, when he went to go visit. But we'll get into that in a little bit. U.S. taxpayers are on track to pay $1 trillion in annual interest on our national debt by the end of the year. Man, that's tough. Plenty to talk about. Anyway, I'm, I'm all over the place. Uh, forgive me. I want to. Um, I want to talk about several things. One of the things we're going to talk about is the book "Lost in Translation." That's a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness of uh, transgender adolescence. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Plus, we're also going to talk about the the big NATO meeting today, right? Today was the big NATO meeting and the former United States representative to NATO, United States Air Force Brigadier General Blaine Holt retired. He's going to join us and we're going to get to that. Plus, we're going to get to your calls and more. Then at 1130, my time, right? So uh, halfway through hour number two at the bottom of the hour, Dennis Neal, you remember him from CNBC. We're going to talk about the Bank failures because Bank of America, goodness, opening fake accounts, charging illegal junk fees. What is going on? I remember a time when people wanted to get with Bank of America because they were the biggest game in town and they figured can't go wrong. But you know what? I didn't jump on the bandwagon, not because of wisdom or anything else, just because I didn't feel like changing banks from the small bank I was with. And guess what? My small bank was terrific. They have done the right thing by me time and time again. So uh, we're going to get to that. Now, I want to dig into a couple of the, uh, the headlines today because Zelensky lashed out at NATO leaders, um, the ones, same ones that sent him billions of dollars. And he did that because of, you know, the, the talk that's going on right now where, you know, some are on board with Ukraine becoming a part of NATO. Others are not. Uh, some are on board with uh, the European Union inclusion, et cetera, et cetera. Others are not. 
So we're going to get to that, like I said, at the top of the next hour. But right now, I want to just recap a little bit of what happened today, in particular with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Because Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, uh, there's a lot of talk about whether he lied to Congress. Now, in my opinion, it seems pretty open and shut. He definitely did. He lied to Congress when he said that the U.S. Attorney David Weiss could prosecute anybody he wanted. But it seems that Merrick Garland had that control. Now, again, if he maintains that he had no control, then Mr. Weiss had full uh, reign over this. But it seems to me that that's just not the case. And that's based on the facts. But I'll let you decide. Uh, Listen to Kevin McCarthy on Capitol Hill with reporters today. Uh, asking the question of, did Merrick Garland lie to Congress when he said David Weiss could prosecute anybody? Listen to this. I think what we have to first do is bring those people into the room. Find out who's telling the truth and who's not. Did Garland lie to the American public and lie to Congress and Senate when he said that David Weiss be a special prosecutor, that David Weiss, if he wanted to bring prosecute anybody in any jurisdiction, he could do it. Now, why is something said differently inside a meeting of six people? Why was the document, when the whistleblower about about at the time Vice President Biden, the 1023, why wasn't that provided to the IRS? There's a lot of questions here that continue to rise from every time and more you look at you should look at all of it. I never prejudge or anything else. But when you have questions like this, I think they need to be answered. I don't predetermine what the answers are, but I think the American public has a right to know. Obviously, the American public has a right to know. And uh, thankfully, we're having that conversation. It's a conversation we need to have. People need to know what's going on. People in the government need to know that it's we, the people, that hold them accountable and not the other way around crazy the way things are happening these days but that's where we are and uh, I think uh, McCarthy is spot on now he didn't stop there he uh, went on to continue his comments saying that U.S. Attorney Weiss wrote a letter which raises even more questions and concerns listen to this Weiss is not come before us and talk to us Weiss wrote a letter had six people in a room who some are saying something different that have no philosophical bent one way or another, concerned about equal justice, coming before the Ways and Means Committee. And it's interesting now, even that it wasn't just said in the meeting, they took notes and they sent it back. It was so questionable when he said that he couldn't become a special prosecutor that he got asked the question back because the individual knew how important that was. So I would think I would think even you as a reporter, uh, kudos to McCarthy for taking shots, very veiled shots, even you as a reporter. Now, again, I'm sure uh, he he meant that in in the most innocuous way. Uh, I took it as, uh, you know, even you, a lowly reporter, even you, a reporter with an IQ of 10, right? That's how it came across to me. And and, uh, good, good. It should be. I mean, there's too many people out there that, that don't take things seriously. And uh, McCarthy went on to uh, to ask about what Weiss has to hide. 
McCarthy's using a lot of interesting words here. Constitutional question. These are things that rise to the level of the Supreme Court when you have a constitutional question. So we we shall see how this goes. But listen, I agree with them 100%. They're the ones that are playing games. They're the ones that are trying to uh, contort things uh, to, to their benefit instead of just calling them as they are, as they occur. So we're going to see how this continues to play out. Uh, but to me, it, he's doing a very good job at, illustrating to the American people that this isn't always on the up and up, right? It just really isn't. People might think it is. Uh, it may look that way. But when you look uh, a little closer upon further examination, not so fast. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about why there is such an emphasis across our country on transgender youth. I think the the... The response from our guests is going to surprise you. Plus, you're welcome to join the conversation. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. God is trans! 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 All right, again, if you listened to the program yesterday, you heard that clip of audio. It was a, a protest, or actually a parade, a, a LGBTQ event in the United Kingdom where uh, participants who then became demonstrators were shouting and chanting that God is trans. And, of course, I think this is definitely going to rub lots of people the wrong way. And, and of course, it did. And it, it begs the question, what is going on? Like, why are we in the madness that we're in? There are things going on left and right with children being put on hormone um, medication, uh, puberty blockers and whatnot. You, you've got all sorts of things happening, and, and nobody can really explain why this is happening en masse the way it is. We all have ideas, but we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And I think this is fascinating to me. It really is. And that's why I wanted to bring in Dr. Miriam Grossman. Uh, she's an MD, board certified in psychiatry, and in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry, she's the author of Lost in Transnation. A Child Psychiatrist Guide Out of the Madness. Dr. Grossman, welcome. Thank you, Rich. Great to be with you. My pleasure. Thank you for making the time and staying up late with us. Uh, this is a, a topic we, we, we frequent on our program here because 
it's it's relatively new, right? While it may be around for a couple of decades, most people haven't been through this. Most people haven't uh, had to really don't have an answer, I should say, to why we're constantly talking about transgenderism every single day in the news. And, and it's a real thing. You know, I know I have children. Um, one's about to be 18, the other one about to be 22. And I can tell you that my daughter, uh, who graduated high school this year, she she pointed out in her yearbook, she made it a point to show me, look, this is so-and-so who's now Phoebe. And they won most change since uh, freshman year. And, and, you know, she was saying, good for her. It's obviously a big change. But she was saying, you know, the rest of us that made just different changes, uh, you know, didn't have a shot because this person changed their gender. And, and, and I thought, yeah, I, I get it. You know, I understand uh, how, how difficult that might be for some people. But the grand scheme of things is how did we get here? Right. How did we get to this place? Of course, you've written the book Lost in Trans Nation, a child psychiatrist guide out of the madness. So walk us through a little bit of the madness, Dr. Grossman. Well, we really are in a very dire situation. Uh, kids from a young age are being led to believe that there's such a thing as being born in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are being led to believe that perhaps they are one of those mistakes. Perhaps their body is a mistake. Now, of course, there's wow. no medical basis whatsoever for this mm-hmm. idea of having the wrong body. No scientific basis whatsoever. It is a belief system. And I explain in my book that it is similar to a religion. Some people believe in a soul. Some people believe there's such a thing as a gender identity, which can be completely separate from your body. Hmm. Now, now, let me just ask a question, because I, I don't know a ton about this, but you're the expert here. How, um, where does gender dysphoria, which is in the DSM Diagnostic, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, um, where does that fit in with, with respect to what we were talking about? Okay, so let me just lay out the land over here with some real basic stuff. Sure. Um, First of all, sex is established at conception. Right. Uh, We're being told left and right that sex is uh, assigned at birth. Completely untrue. Sex, male or female, is established at conception, the moment of conception when the sperm and the egg get together, that establishes whether the baby is going to be male or female. There are two sexes, male and female. There's no spectrum of sexes. There's no all these other possibilities that kids are being led to believe. No, there is male or female. Now, there is a tiny, tiny percentage of individuals 0.02% of all births, in which case the baby has some sort of chromosomal abnormality or endocrine abnormality that might be discovered later on, in which there is some question about how that child would best be raised. But Mm -hmm. that is completely And you're talking about like hermaphrodites and that type of thing? Yes, we used to call it hermaphrodites, now called intersex, but yes, that's what I'm speaking about. 
But essentially, even those people, Rich, even those uh, intersex individuals still have reproductive systems that are based around either producing eggs or sperm. There yeah. is no third kind of sex, uh, ga- uh, you know, we call it a, a gamete, uh, a sex cell, either a sperm or an egg. Those are the two options. So we are a dimorphic, uh, uh, mammals are dimorphic, male or female, and we are mammals. So there really is no question there whatsoever, but kids are being sold this bill of goods, which as I said, and I can't say this enough, is not based on medical science. But let me so push back here, to- Dr. Grossman, because I believe it's your colleagues, uh, maybe those that take exception to what you believe and what I believe, but it's your colleagues that are out there saying things to the contrary, that are getting kids to believe that they can be this other thing, that there is this spectrum, that they uh, they can use hormones and, and kind of establish whatever gender they want. Yes, it is. And that's, uh, you know, that's part of why I wrote this book, because I am so disturbed by this and so angry that some of my colleagues who are activists and who are pushing this radical agenda and have been so successful. Now, this did not start yesterday. And I explain in my book that it's been many years, if not decades, since the 90s, actually, when kids were first being told, yes, the kids were told as far back as in the 90s uh, by sex educators and others that there was this thing called gender identity and that there were many different genders and that the binary of male and female was oppressive. And it was all put into a political, you know, Marxist framework of oppression and liberation. And so, you know, that's where it all came from. But getting back to the definition. Well, but before you we get back to it, let me remind everybody that the title of the book, it's called Lost in Transnation, a child psychiatrist guide out of the madness. I recommend that you get a couple of copies of this one for yourself to read and one to give away, because this is something you're not going to hear this everywhere. You might hear from me, but I'm not an MD. Dr. Miriam Grossman is an MD, board certified in psychiatry and in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry. So she literally knows exactly what she's talking about here. And I'm thrilled to have her on the program. We're coming right back with Dr. Miriam Grossman right here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. With Rich Valdez. Rich 
the sound of a chant. We're here, we're queer, and we're coming from your children. It's about two weeks ago at a Pride event in New York City. And it seems that they are coming for our children, and not just to uh, talk about Pride and Pride Month, but no, to erase the idea that they can be or are what they were born and that they can become anything they want. Dr. Miriam Grossman is our guest she is the author of the book Lost in Trans Nation, a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness. Dr. Grossman is a board-certified psychiatrist specializing in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry. Dr. Miriam Grossman, welcome back. Thank you so much, Rich. You it's know, I I want to I, I want to explain to your audience why I wrote this book. For the Please. past few years. Yeah, for the past few years, I've been seeing these kids, these uh, distressed kids who are unhappy about their bodies, as well as their parents. And I have to tell you that in 35 years of practicing as a child psychiatrist, I have never seen this kind of devastation that happens in families. Okay, mm. when your child suddenly comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm not your son. I'm your daughter. I want to be called by this new girl's name. I want to be called by uh, female pronouns. And in fact, at school, they've been doing that for the past months. You just haven't been told because I wasn't ready to tell you. I'm using the girl's bathroom. And I'm asking you to please make an appointment at a gender clinic so that I can... Uh, stop my puberty, and be placed on estrogen. Now, uh, I have heard from hundreds of parents who have gone through this, and they are blindsided by it. They didn't expect it. They may have known, yeah, I have a kid who has some issues. I have a kid who's on the autism spectrum or who has anxiety, but they never expected this. No family is immune. And after seeing what I've seen in these past few years, I felt that I, I just uh, I, I had to go out there and reach parents before this hits their household. I, right. I, I have to reach them and give them the education that they need to understand this, to educate them and to give them the tools so that they can immunize their family against this, against these ideas. And that's what I did in the book. It's, a, it's filled with practical information, such as conversations that you can have with your child, and also conversations that you need to have with your pediatrician, with your uh, guidance counselor at school. You need to be proactive. I'm talking to parents now. You need to be doing these things beforehand so that you are not ambushed and you know what you're talking about, you're certain about your beliefs, and you won't have that nagging feeling, well, maybe I should listen to the gender expert, and maybe I should be calling my son by a girl's name and use, using girls' pronouns and get him on estrogen, because that it, is not what you should be doing. You know, Doc, I'm listening to what you're saying, and, and, I, and I love it, uh, but I'm going to tell you, I'm the dad of two um, two young girls, you know, 18 and 22 now. 
And, and I can tell you, I remember a couple of years ago taking my little one to the doctor, pediatrician. Our regular person was out. We had a different person. And very nice. But I noticed at one point she was saying, oh, dad, can you bring this document to the front desk? I forgot to bring it. Now, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm a Puerto Rican kid from Brooklyn. I know when somebody's trying to get me, but I was being polite. So I did. I brought the paper over and in my head I was saying, this lady wanted me out of the room. I don't know why she wanted me out of the room, but she did. And I come back and she's like, oh, can you wait outside? I said, absolutely not. I'm not waiting outside. Um, you have my kid in there and she's 12. I, I don't want this to happen. Now, you know, she tried to make it like, well, you're dad and you should be outside. And I said, no, absolutely not. I called my ex-wife. I'm divorced now. And I said, look, I don't like what's going on. This lady's in there and she's with our little girl and I don't know what she's saying. So I asked my kid what she's saying. And she said she was asking me a, que- a bunch of questions about sexual activity and blah, blah, blah. And if I, you know, how I identify and all that. And, and again, I bring it back to some of your colleagues, right? This stuff happens when you're at the doctor. And my perfectly, I'm going to say, for the lack of a better word, my perfectly normal kid goes to the doctor and then the doctor starts putting things in her head saying, you know, do you identify as this? How do you feel about that? What are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? And and when you're, when you're sounding the alarm about your colleagues and about this this big issue um, and, and you've written the book on this, literally, what advice do you have for parents that are in a situation like that where they're they're being pushed out? You take your kid and you run in the opposite direction and you never mm-hmm. look back. That's what I did. <laughs> and you find a pedi- you find a pediatrician that isn't going to do that. Okay, exactly this is coming from the top. This is coming from the leadership of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I explain in the book how all these medical organizations, these mainstream medical organizations, have been captured by this radical agenda. It's not necessarily the rank-and-file pediatricians that make these decisions, uh, these, these proclamations that come out of the organizations, the policy statements that are supporting uh, these you know, medicalization of kids and the whole ideas of being born in the wrong body. No, these are what's happened in the organizations, as I explain in the book, and it's all mainstream medical and educational organizations, is that small militant uh, and, and, and aggressive uh, uh, groups of people with an agenda who want to see the organization moved in a certain direction, they simply are able to take over. Mm, and, this is really big. Uh, you're mentioned, but, oh, it's, it's very big. Yes, it is. Because I mean, people think, <laughs> right, when they think if they go to that one-off doctor who's part of a vocal minority that says, oh, no, no, because your kid is this or because they can pick whatever they want or whatever, it, it's not the norm. It's not the majority. There's plenty of professionals like you that are out there writing books about this saying the exact opposite. Uh, but this small oh, no, no, vocal no. minority seems to be getting all the action. No, no. What happens here, what I'm trying to explain here is that when you go to your pediatrician, the rank and file pediatrician. Um, I'm so sorry. Someone's calling me. I'm just ignoring it. Um, <laughs> so the, from, from the top of the American Academy of Pediatrics, pediatricians are going to be instructed, this is what you're to do with your patients. So mm-hmm. it is coming from the top of the American Academy of Pediatrics, but the Amer- that academy has been captured. And I explain in the book, I have interviews with pediatricians who have tried 
without success, to, uh, to, to disagree, to dissent, to have debate on these issues, and they are simply uh, silenced. They are not given the microphone. And then these organizations go out and they say, oh, there's a medical consensus, like our uh, Admiral Dr. Rachel Levine, who keeps on saying to parents, oh, there's, you know, every major medical organization, there's a, there's a consensus among medical professionals. No, there is no consensus. What there is is a debate. And one side is not allowing the other side to be heard. And so parents are under the false impression that there's a consensus and they need to just go with this narrative and they need to go with the program unless, uh, and if they don't, it's going to harm their child. And that's how they get the parents to agree to these medical interventions. And these interventions, mind you, can be, can be permanent, can lead to and sterilization, destructive. destructive, and there is no evidence, Rich. There's no evidence that these interventions are beneficial in the long term. That's what I want people to know. So there Let me are ask you options. something, Doc, because I, I agree with you. I, I, it sounds crazy to me. All I am is a guy with kids, right? And if you told me my kid doesn't feel like a girl, she feels like a boy, we're going to, you know, um, have a double mastectomy and, and go through hormones, I would say you're out of your mind. Give her some estrogen, help her feel like a girl. Why don't we do that? Because this, uh, this inane gender affirmation care has taken over our medical system here in the United States. Other countries have done differently. If you lived with your daughters in Sweden or Norway or Finland or Britain, it would be very difficult for one of them to get puberty blockers or go on testosterone because oh those countries those countries have done an in-depth analysis of all the research that exists, and they have come out and decided that no, what these kids need is psychotherapy. But in this country, we're, not, we're far from being there. And the politics in this country, uh, you know, I mean, we do have 19 states so far who, with legislation that prohibits these interventions, but that still needs, still leaves a heck of a lot of states where you can get this kind of uh, affirming, quote unquote, care. Right. Now, let me point out, that the term affirming care is Orwellian. And what I mean by that is that when you're affirming the opposite sex identity, this uh, impossible opposite sex uh, synthetic persona that the child wants so much, it means that you are denying their physical reality. Right. You're denying really their reality. Now, parents have to represent reality and they have to represent common sense. And so the overarching message of my book to parents is trust your gut. Do not take your child to a gender therapist. Run the other direction from pediatricians that are telling you to leave the room. Because what they want to do when you leave the room is talk about sexuality, mm -hmm. gender, and all sorts of things that you may not want your child to be hearing about. 
Doc, let's hang on right there. Dr. Miriam Grossman, MD. She is a board-certified child psychiatrist. She's the author of Lost in Transnation, a child psychiatrist guide out of the madness. I recommend you get two copies of this book, one for yourself, one for a neighbor, friend, anybody else. Trust me, everybody needs to know about this. This is a huge problem, bigger than many of us think. We're going to come right back and wrap up with Dr. Grossman straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4825-337. Our guest is Dr. Miriam Grossman, board-certified psychiatrist specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry and the author of the book, Lost in Trans Nation, a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness. Dr. Grossman, as we wrap up here, I guess final thought to you, uh, with respect to what parents need to do. Uh, obviously, you've told them, take your kid and run. And I think that is really good advice. Uh, but what else can can parents do to fight the onslaught of this new ideology? Well, look, you know, I, I, don't, I wrote this book because I don't want any more parents uh, contacting me in distress about their kids. I get at least half a dozen emails every single day from families that are going through this. Wow. So to answer your question, yeah, emails saying, you know, my daughter's going for surgery tomorrow. What can oh, I do? My, yeah, it's, you know, I, I have patients that have been castrated, young men oh, who God. don't have don't have genitals. This is, this is what's going on. Now, um, what I'm going to say is I want people to buy my book and read it so that they're not another family that is frantically running around and trying to get help from therapists like myself who are non-affirming is what we're called, but basically we are reality-based. Right. And we are anti-medicalization of these young kids. What they need is psychotherapy. They need to be taken, you know, their, their internet and social media use needs to be uh, uh, parents need to be in control of that. And I have an appendix in my book written by an expert because I know nothing about technology, but written by someone who can instruct parents on getting control of their kids' internet and social media use. You need to be vigilant. What is your kid doing? Who are they talking to? Who are they hanging around with? What are, what's going on in school? What are they being exposed to? Are they joining clubs in school that you don't know about that are going to promote this ideology? So you need to really get smart. You don't need a PhD. The, you know, my book is accessible to everybody. Know what's going on and protect your family. Wow. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciate your passion and the fact that you wrote the book. I think there's very few of your colleagues out there with the courage to do what's right, even when they know it's right. And I know this because many of them have called me and told me, look, I'll tell you something, but I can't go on the air. And uh, I realize that it comes at a, a personal um, cost to, to do that. 
uh, and to to tell the truth. What what type of backlash have you faced for standing up to the I'm going to call them the woke mob within your profession? Well, I mean, starting many years ago when I I wrote a book, I was a uh, psychiatrist at UCLA in the student counseling center there. And uh, I wrote a book called Unprotected about uh, the politics in my profession. The political correctness is what we used to call it then and how it harms students, especially young women. And uh, well, the fallout from that book was that basically from one day to the next, uh, I, I was I was shunned. I was shunned by my colleagues that I had worked with for 11 years. I had an excellent reputation. Everyone loved me. But when that book came out, uh, people stopped talking to me. They wouldn't refer patients to me. Uh, eventually, I had to leave UCLA. My life was made quite miserable there. And I, I, you know, I have been able, I have had some difficulty applying for jobs and being rejected, and I know why that is. Uh, but, but that's okay. That's okay because I can sleep at night. Right. And I know that I'm doing the, the best for my patients, and I know that I am following the oath that I took many years ago when I graduated from medical school to do no harm. Mm-hmm. And that's the key, right? Do no harm. And it seems that this, um, this um, Hippocratic oath has, has morphed into doing no harm means um, let's turn someone into something that they're not. Folks, Dr. Miriam Grossman, MD, board certified in psychiatry and adolescent psychiatry, child psychiatry, the author of Lost in Translation, a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness. Dr. Grossman, let everybody know where they can get a copy of your book or two. Well, all the regular places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I also suggest going to my website, which is miriamgrossmanmd.com. You can watch my uh, testimony that I provided in Congress last month on this issue. Uh, and there's many other things there as well. I'm on Twitter, Miriam underscore Grossman. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman on a mission. And some people tell me to just calm down and uh, not to get so upset over it. But I'm telling you, when I see what's going on, I'm not going to calm down. I'm going to go out there and do what I have to do. And that's what, that's what any decent person would do. Amen to that. I hope you continue to do what you have to do. And I hope you make some disciples along the way uh, with some of your colleagues and, and get them on board and create a movement uh, because our future, our children are depending on the leadership that you're providing in this space. Thank you, Dr. Grossman, for being with us, for educating us and for your leadership on this issue. Thank you so much, Rich. You're welcome. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So NATO says that it's going to invite Ukraine to join when the conditions are met. Biden says, yeah, that's going to be when the war is over. Say what? What is he talking about? That's absolute insanity. We're going to get into that with the former United States representative to NATO, General Blaine Holt. He's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night national conversation, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to talk about a number of things tonight. We've uh, had an amazing conversation in the first hour here in hour number two. We're going to talk about NATO and all things foreign policy. But I want to, um, again, direct your attention uh, to the, the comments coming from President Biden and those that are, um, you know, involved in what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and NATO right now. And it, it's fascinating to me to see what's coming out of um, their mouths, right? You've got Biden saying he's very pleased by Turkey's move to advance uh, Sweden's NATO membership bid. Listen to this. You made uh, all the more historic by the agreement you reached yesterday and the addition of Sweden and how you're going to proceed. I want to thank you for your diplomacy and your courage to take that on. And uh, I want to thank you for your leadership. Now, of course, uh, Biden's not as enthusiastic when it comes to Ukraine's um, membership bid to uh, join NATO because he says, well, we've got to continue this war. In many words, and at least that's my understanding of what he's saying. He's uh, in effect saying, look, we've got to continue to do this and we'll talk about it later once the conditions are met. And the conditions, of course, are finishing the war and spending more money. I don't understand the purpose of that. Again, I'm adding to this. I'm embellishing a tad, but I don't think I'm off base here. And, um, of course, the president, the Turkish president, uh, let's see if I can get this right, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. He um, he says uh, through an interpreter that he's looking forward to working more closely with the United States. Listen to this. Today's meeting with you uh, within the margin of the NATO summit is the first step forward. Our meetings prior to this uh, were mere warm-ups, but now we are initiating a new process. All right, so that's the new process that Erdogan is talking about, and uh, Biden seems to be very... Um, you know, gung-ho to say whatever he feels like doing and act uh, a different way, obviously not not having Ukraine's back in the way I think that he should. And I, I want to get to the bottom of that, of course. And who better than the former United States representative to NATO, uh, retired Brigadier General from the United States Air Force, Blaine Holt. Blaine Holt, General, sir, welcome to the program. Oh, my gosh, Rich. I'm so happy to return to your show. It's always great to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, brother. And I appreciate it. Uh, I really do, because I think, you know, um, I love to interview generals because you guys have this, um, I'm going to call it magical, but it's a a very astute ability to go beyond politics and and deliver a a response uh, that's kind of mission critical, right? Because that's your job, ultimately. You know, you have to kind of navigate the politics, but steer clear of the politics to do what's right and what's necessary. And and I think you get the best analysis that way. But 
we have the the NATO um, shindig. I'm going to call it this week, and <laughs> and I I just you know I, I don't know what to make of anything anymore. I, I think Biden seems like he's just here, there, and everywhere. Um, Zelensky, I can't trust him as far as I can throw him. I can't stand Putin. I don't have anybody I could like in this fight. Um, help us make sense. What's going on? Right. So um, I have to start out by saying this particular NATO summit, and I've been a part of a couple of them in the planning, uh, not a scripted event. This is the most consequential NATO summit in NATO's history. Absolutely no question about that. Hmm. And, and why wouldn't we think that? Because really the spire of World War III is hanging over our heads. We've never heard Every the word day. nuclear so much as we have in the last year. And uh, we know we live in a dangerous world. And and beyond NATO's reach, you've got China, Iran, North Korea. Our adversaries are looking at our weakness being projected globally, and they are sharpening knives. And so here we come to uh, a summit where the final deals, um, they're usually brokered months in advance. So everybody knows how to play their cue cards. No, 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 no. One in the morning before the summit, you've got Turkey and the United States hammering out what looks like a pretty substantial, on its surface, looks like a victory for the Biden administration in terms of getting uh, Turkey on sides for uh, Sweden's uh, entry into the alliance, uh, getting comfortable with an eventual membership in, Na- in uh, Ukraine with whatever that looks like, and, and, and a host of other things. Now, a lot of people have been hearing in the mainstream press today that, oh, yeah, and Turkey gets some F-16s for this. Um, that would be a silly notion. <laughs> yes, they'll get their F-16s. But the bigger deal is uh, Turkey wants a path to EU membership. And it looks like that pathway has now been gilded. If 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 Erdogan, if if Tayyip Erdogan is going to turn his back on Russia for a second, it means he's got to score big time. And <clears throat> what that means is he hit the Turkish prize is to be a member of the EU. And it looks like they're going to get a path to that. It also looks like Turkish citizens very soon will be able to come and go very freely in the European Schengen zone. And that's a very big deal to the economy of uh, Turkey. So the stage is set. Now, we haven't even touched the Ukraine piece, but I'll throw it back to you. As, uh, but I will tell you, this is not a small NATO summit. This, is, this has been a very big deal. So uh, I'll, I'll put this out there. I, I, I think... And I'm going to make it political for just a second, but really I want to bring it back to the geopolitical analysis that you're offering. Recently, we heard President Trump in a statement say, I could end the war between Ukraine and Russia in 48 hours, something like that, right? And I love him, and I believe he's right, right? I think he can harness the the, the leverage that's there um, because everybody wants something. And it just takes that one leader that, that can b- bring everybody to the table and say, let's do this for you and this for you and this for you and make everything go away. Um, and again, maybe I'm oversimplifying because I'm a radio guy no, in know. the United States. But I think when you have the, 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 I don't know, the full faith and nuclear arsenal of the United States, uh, you can do that. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, but it's more than that. When, when, when President Trump says he can do that, and at the risk of sounding political, I, I'll just analyze it, you know, with my best objectivity. Um, President Trump uh, proved over four years that he carried a big stick, wasn't going to use it unless he had to. And um, so you need strength, you need credibility, and you need respect. And he engenders those things. He has engendered those things. This is the guy who went over to North Korea and said, I'll just walk over and talk to him. 
<laughs> and his, uh, you know, the, much to the establishment's great. You can't do that. We never do that. And it's like, right, yeah, but right. what if we did? <laughs> and then you get the Abraham Accords and you really start to see um, bandages put on some of the world's most intractable problems. And even China comes to heal with a marvelous trade deal that's now all but obliterated. But when he says, and, you know, <laughs> in his bombastic style, when he says, oh, I knocked this war out in about 24 hours. Yeah, no, he probably could, because uh, right away, Russia would say, okay, this guy is to be respected, doesn't play games, and, um, and we're going to have to find some way to work with him. Now, let's back it up, back to Kabul, one of the greatest failures in United States history. Mm. Um, this is what transmitted to the world, we're weak and we're open for business, so let us know what you want to do, and starts the tumblers for the countdown of what would become the Ukraine-Russia war. That war was deterrable. <clears throat> we had every lever in our hands to keep that war from happening. And even still, a year and a few months into this war, uh, where is the State Department on any of the diplomatic options? In fact, I would say the most diplomatic energy I've seen spent during the entire war comes from uh, Richard Haas, the former president of the Council on Foreign Relations, with some statesmen uh, who start on what we call a track two diplomatic track, and they're talking to Lavrov, and they're trying to find some off-ramp here, and I couldn't be more proud of uh, CFR in this case and uh, uh, Richard Haas in going and taking that step, because if you examine what's happening on the battlefield, you know that we're just going to keep having killing fields with a nuclear power in play um, if, we don't, if we don't find that off-ramp. And so so that's what this is about, and that's why Ukraine didn't get their immediate membership. They can't <laughs> invoke Article 5 and say, okay, we're all at World War III. No, 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 that's, that's actually not responsible, and that's not what Americans uh, expect. So in the rare instance where I agree with President Biden's policy, this is not the time for NATO accession, but it could be in the future. And they, they actually gave them a Ukraine-NATO council, which will meet starting tomorrow. That's a very big deal for, for NATO. And so Zelensky, instead of being very upset, should go home saying, look, we got a victory and we've got a pass. And he should see it that way. Uh, speaking of Zelensky, uh, I have a quick clip and I want you to respond to it. And I think you might have already sure. in part. But uh, we've got uh, Volodymyr Zelensky telling a crowd uh, that he came to Lithuania with faith in a NATO that doesn't hesitate. Listen to this. Do you think that he's pushing too hard uh, and that he should take the uh, the win that you just mentioned and and be graceful about it? Or should he continue to keep the pressure on uh, being that that's the way for him to go in order to maintain, um, I don't know, um, safety and security for his nation? Yeah, it's not so simple. I mean, it's very simple for you and I in a calm environment to describe, wow, this guy really lost his cool. He probably should have played it better. He showed a lot of emotion on a stage where he probably would have been better served not doing that. Those things would be true. However, let's put ourselves in his shoes. He is right. in the fight of his life. And for him personally, he's got to win or there is no tomorrow. And, and what he's going, I, I am certain that he got his team riled up about, look, we've got a path to NATO coming. I just got to go to Vilnius and seal the deal. He's not, he's not coming back with the deal that he thought he was going to. I, I think that what we're going to find is 
it's not going to be fatal for him, but he's going to have some domestic politics problems because this nation has just been grinding in this meat grinder and everybody's going to go, well, how much longer? What's going to happen? When are we going to find our way there? And are they moving the goalpost on us? So he's going back to a, pol- a domestic political situation while he's fighting a war that's very tough. I, I don't envy the man for the stresses yeah. that he's under. At, at the same time, statesmen have to be statesmen. And it was absolutely, utterly predictable what the alliance would do in this case. And so I think he should have anticipated that the Ukraine NATO Council or the NATO Ukraine Council, whatever you want to call it, that's a win. That's actually that from a, a guy who's a NATO, a former NATO technocrat. I will tell you that's a win. That's actually that's actually a serious deal. Um, that's yeah. not a light thing because they will create an access plan that gets there. But it can't happen until we get the off ramp to this war. Right. And, and again, I think that's a, kind of what Biden was saying. I think you just said it a little bit nicer. Uh, it, it sounded to me like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later when we're done having the war. Uh, it seems like we got to put an end to the war. And um, I guess it's a semantical difference. But folks, we're on with uh, retired General Blaine Holt, United States Air Force uh, Brigadier General and the uh, former United States representative to NATO. And we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead. Plus, I welcome your calls, 833-482-5337-8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. There's never been a stronger message from NATO at any time, both when it comes to the political message uh, on the path forward for membership and the concrete uh, support from NATO allies, military support, but also the practical support on how to ensure uh, full uh, interoperability. If you look at uh, all the membership processes, there have not been uh, time uh, 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 lines for those processes. They are conditions-based, has always been. So it's an unprecedented time in NATO history. There's a lot of uh, very high stakes game right now with all of the players. That, uh, by the way, that clip was of NATO General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg and our guest, General Blaine Holt. Uh, General, I want to, um, I mean, and you've spoken about this quite a bit already, um, but I want to get your your take on the other people that are involved here, right? So we're talking about Ukraine, we're talking about NATO. What about Russia, right? I, I know Russia has had, um, well, I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this. I've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, with the, the whole um, controversy with uh, Prigozhin and Putin, um, quick story, and I know we're limited on time here, but I was, I was out earlier for dinner and uh, bumped into somebody who was a former USSR person, and I was at dinner with someone that's a former State Department person, and the conversation circled around the what's at play, right, with with Prigozhin and whether this thing was theatrics or not. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it could be theatrics. The one thing I know we do know is that we don't know, and <laughs> and that is very. It sounds like Washington D.C. gobbledygook, but it's very true. Um, Here's what I think happened. 
Um, Prigozhin is a very emotional player, and uh, they went through a lot in Bakhmut in the campaign, and he certainly had an axe to grind with uh, Shoigu and Gerasimov, the top generals in the Russian military, about not getting supplied while he was fighting his campaign. So he wanted to mount a campaign to go after them and to, uh, and to try to thread the needle between his allegiance to Putin and his ire and anger for uh, the Russian military. Uh, well, <clears throat> he thought he had a lot of people on side. He didn't. He got as far as Rostrov on Don, and his loyalty base melted with every mile that they had on their way to Moscow. Putin is pretty shrewd. He didn't go to kill him to go, uh, and, and wipe out a whole bunch of people just to create the next attempt on him. What he understood was he's probably got a lot more disloyal players on the team, and I think he's keeping a lot of these people alive just to go find out who's loyal, who's not loyal as he goes through this. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the Russian army being very effective in their defense of the counteroffensive from Ukraine. So we should not sit there and say, ah, well, Russia's finished. We should just say that Putin's under a lot of stress and pressure as well. Um, but now what they're watching and, and what could really be the pressure point on Putin is you just had two more countries join NATO and created another 830 miles of NATO border on the Russian border. How is your war going? Um, and, and he's going to have to answer for those questions. The, the thing that I'm concerned about is we need a strategy to understand how to deal with Russia, a nuclear power, and not put them into a box where they've got to throw a Hail Mary pass. Um, so, so, you know, we talked about the counteroffensive and the Ukrainians will go get Crimea and we'll be happily ever after. Do we really think the Russians are not going to go to some very interesting forms of weaponry, which they certainly have, uh, if something like that were to happen? So you got to watch for your, what you wish for, cause you might get it. Uh, right. this is a very dangerous war with Russia, who they are. And, and not to say that Putin is rock solid on top of his game. He's not. These are two fighters who are in the 15th round uh bloodying each other with nothing yeah. left on the table and, and we just don't yeah and we don't want it to go to the next place which is far worse and and while we throw all the money and weapons at this thing there's china there's iran there's north korea gotta gotta watch that boy general blaine holt senior newsweek contributor and co-founder of restore liberty you see him on Newsmax. You hear him on our show all the time. I thank you for being with us. we got to do it again really soon. There's never enough time. General, thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care, Rich. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversation. What's going on with the banks? Why is Bank of America faking jacks? We're going to get to that right now. Don't go anywhere. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. So I'm looking at an article here, CNN Business reporting, that Bank of America is accused of opening fake accounts and charging illegal junk fees. Yep, federal regulators are saying that they found that Bank of America harmed customers by double dipping on fees, withholding credit card rewards and opening fake accounts all of which are violations of various consumer financial protection laws. As a result, 
The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau ordered Bank of America to pay more than $100 million to customers and $90 million in penalties. The Office of the Controller of the Currency also ordered Bank of America to pay $60 million in fines. The bank is the second largest in the United States, serving 68 million individuals and small businesses. Crazy, right? And um, we remember this happened not too long ago at Wells Fargo. Uh, a couple of years back with uh, the bank opening millions of accounts without their customer's authorization. So this comes on the heels of the other day. We heard about different, uh, you know, uh, potential for bank failures and some saying it won't happen. Others saying, be careful. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to me, it seems like the writing's on the wall, but I don't want to jump the gun. I want to bring in an expert. Dennis Neal, you know him from CNBC. He uh, has been on TV for years. You also have uh, seen his podcast or heard his podcast on Ricochet. Dennis Neal, welcome to the program, sir. Good to talk to you, Rich. Hope you're well tonight. I am. Thank God I have my voice back. Uh, about a week ago, I had bronchitis and I had no voice. And that's like, uh, you know, the breaking the 11th commandment in the radio game. Well, especially for a guy with your, your the hours you got on radio, man. So, yeah, yeah. brother. But thank you for staying up late and being with us um, and trying to make sense of this stuff because, you know, it's uh, it's all Greek to me. Uh, let's let's talk about this. So it seems like is this let me ask it this way. Is this a repeat of what we saw with Wells Fargo where they were opening up the, the fake phony fraud accounts so that they uh, they could look better to their investors? Or is it, is there more to this with Bank of America? Well, well, we, so first of all, let, let's let's just say terrible, bad dog, bad dog, Bank of America. <laughs> you know, the very fact that you're going to have to pay more than $100 million to customers may, means that you owed them that and you ripped them off by $100 million. So, okay, bad. Let's also understand, though, that this is, I think, nowhere near the level of pervasiveness and, and scammy fake accounts that we saw at Wells Fargo. You know, in the old days, the long distance business, when you had AT&T and Sprint and MCI, these old brands that no one will remember now, they had this thing called framming. And that was where the long distance accounts were loading up your account with new services. Oh, you want call waiting? That's an extra two bucks. Oh, you want, you know, unlimited directory assistance? That's an extra buck. So they did this cramming, loading up services without the, the person even realizing it, right? Well, now banks are doing it and Wells Fargo did it to the nth degree. So along comes this bank, uh, Bank of America, and they think, you know, it's just that you look at the statement and the regulars say that they harmed hundreds of thousands of consumers over a period of several years across multiple product lines and services. So rich, that means that in a several years, you still, you, you, you add it all up and you got fewer than a million in customers when they've got 68 million clients. I mean, and you're going to pay uh, 120 million in penalties, et cetera. But this is a bank that had $27 billion in earnings last year. So what this really is, Rich, is a slap on the wrist to make the regulators look good. Now, there's this agency. Mm. It's called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They're here to protect you. And they were created after the meltdown of 0809. But the thing about this CFPB, and we've talked about this on What's Bugging Me, my podcast, the thing about it, we talked about it with a lawyer about this, is that they're basically an unconstitutional agency, Rich. They have a, a chief but no uh, appointed board. They don't get their money from huh. Congress. They get it from the Federal Reserve. So they come in, they make a big deal. Look what we've made them do. 
But meanwhile, there's ripoffs going off all over the place of all other kinds, and they're missing them because they just want the headlines for bringing to heel Bank of America with a hundred million dollar you know re- return to customers when Bank of America got two point seven billion in earnings last year. Wow! So this is smoke and mirrors, and you're saying it it, it could have been worse, and but it's not sure and far more pervasive. And probably now there's a template here what you do if you're a relator, right? You got this one. Now they're going to go to the next big bank and the next one and the next one. And they'll just hold them up for money. By the way, here's the thing also, Rich, 100 million to customers. I like that. 90 million in penalties to the Consumer Financial Protection Board. Oh, what? So you can go hassle small businesses. They're hassling little hardware stores for their credit accounts, right? And 60 million in fines. Why don't you just pay it all to customers? Oh, that's the other thing, though. If it's 100 million to your customers and you have 68 million customers, it's like a buck and a half a piece or a buck and 30 cents a piece. So really, I think this is for those headlines. And that's unfortunate. That bigger issue, though, Rich, that you worry about, that we talked about, is, is the banking system about to go through another crisis where smaller right. banks are going are to are wobble. See, that's the kind of stuff the, the regulators. And you know why? I guess I'm at. old enough to remember um, First Union, Wachovia. Right. Do you remember those guys? I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, oh, yeah. it, are, are we seeing a repeat of that in slow yeah. motion? And I'm here to tell you, no, we're going to be okay. Do not worry about that. Do not pull your money out of a bank account because of that. We're covered in very many ways. And I can explain if you want more. Now, Rich, let me just first tell you, I'm, I, I err on the side of being contrarian. I err on the side of being optimistic. And I've, I was an anchor at the CNBC and business for many, many years during some of the meltdown years. And so I'll always take the other side and say, we're going to be okay. The system always fixes itself. The market fixes itself. So that's one reason I've got this bias. But the other thing is overall, sure. Is there going to be consolidation of banks and some little guys get eaten by the big guys? Yeah. And that always happens. And that often makes things better and more efficient for the market and the way it works. Number one, number two, it turns out right now on every account, if you have less than $250,000 in your bank's account there, and it's an FDI insured bank, even if that bank goes belly up, you are covered. What happened in the Silicon Valley bank meltdown was you had these rich fat cats and, 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 and Silicon Valley startup founders and VC firms, and they had way over that 250K limit in their individual accounts, millions. And they realized, oh my gosh, I'd lose this if they close this bank. I've heard rumors and it's a little wobbly. And so they took out the equivalent of, I don't know, almost 60 or 100 billion overnight. That caused that bank to wobble and fall. But you know that's not gonna happen this time around. I think that people are, once you've had one or two or three failures, bing, 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 investors have a way now of getting ready for the next. And now it's already discounted. You're gonna be okay. All right, Dennis Neal, I want to trust you. Folks, Dennis Neal, he's the host of What's Bugging Me. Great podcast. Make sure you check it out, subscribe, click the little bell so you know when new episodes are coming out. We're going to continue with him straight ahead because uh, I want to continue to tug on this thread a little bit. I don't know that I trust the banks as much as Dennis Neal does, but we're going to continue our conversation uh, right now. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. You saw the budget that that the president um, wasn't going to get anywhere, but you saw it. It was almost, I mean, a lot of tax hikes. Do you have any problems with any of this, with what you're watching? Are you allowed to say if you do as a Democrat? Or do, you, do you think, why, why do you think no, the country... It's always good to see you on a Monday. Um, I, you know... The, it's always what? Good to see you on a Monday. You know, you're going right in. I like that. The, the, uh, it's just a, all, I mean, it's a simple question. You, you, you know, you, you say that you're a blue dog. You say that you're a problem solver. Are you fully behind Bidenomics and what we've seen? Well, I think if you look at where the economy is right now, in terms of giving you're coming out of COVID, giving out of the supply chain strain, and look at the numbers that have been produced, that's, those are positive. Listen, inflation is slowing. We still have challenges there, but it's down 11 months in a row two-year low. You've got 13 million new jobs on this administration, 200,000 new jobs in the jobs report in June. Unemployment remains around 3.6%. So the bottom line is there's been good progress. Got the Inflation Reduction Act and obviously the debt deal we just did in a bipartisan way, the debt ceiling deal, which will reduce the deficit by $1.5 trillion over 10. Those are all good, positive steps. All right, that's Joe Kernan. He's a host on CNBC uh, in a conversation with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Dennis Neal, our guest, former CNBC host himself, a host of What's Bugging Me on the Ricochet Podcast Network. Dennis Neal, I, I can't help but think that Congressman Gottheimer is cr- kind of grasping for straws here. Um, while I'm not saying he's lying, because I think what he's saying is you know factually accurate, at least a good part of it. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem to me that we're in any better shape economically. And I, I would venture to say most people who are, you know, buying something at the store or filling their gas tank or anything like that are going to have something negative to say about the economy. What say you? It, it, it's quite interesting, isn't it, Rich? Because what this is, is this is a what's not to like economy. When you look at the figures, the data reported and listened to by Wall Street, uh, uh, it, it looks pretty good. I mean, unemployment's pretty low. Job growth is surprisingly high. All the experts said, we're going to have a recession. We're going to have a recession. I predicted in April last year, no, we won't. There's too much money floating around from all those COVID payments, right? So mm-hmm. it's actually surprisingly good, but not because of Bidenomics, Rich. It's surprisingly good in spite of Bidenomics. Right. It's been able to overcome the terrible impact of Biden Bidenomics, which has indeed been awful on the economy. Remember, we were the number one producer of nat gas and gasoline and oil in the world. Then in came Biden. And, you know, you don't have to crack down on everything right now. By even telling the industry we're cracking down, we don't like you, that instantly takes the testosterone out of the markets. It takes hope out of the markets for oil and energy. And suddenly our gas prices are up at the pump. That's a direct result of the market responding to Biden's policies. And then what happens, Rich, is even though it's amazing, we must have, I think it's 11 million job openings and only five or 6 million people technically in the workforce looking for work, okay? And so that looks awfully good. We can't have a recession if there's great job growth, but then go to the gas pump and you say, what is this 350 
on Catlin. I was just down in South Carolina driving, you know, for a family funeral. And you say, what is, and that's what touches you the most. And that's what pisses you off the most. Well, my condolences uh, to your family. And yeah, 100%, right? I, I, I can't help but think, you know, you got Gottheimer and so many others telling me, oh, it's fantastic. They use all these metrics. But yet I went to buy a used car a couple of days ago for my daughter. And I'm talking 2007, right? A 15-year-old, 16-year-old car. And I paid a ton of money for it. I, I mean, way more than I expected to because the economy's so great, but yet we still don't have chip manufacturing going on. We still have... a uh, this, this high premium on used cars, there's not enough new cars. And, and to me, it seems like whatever progress they're, they're touting in this economy, I'm not feeling it at all. Well, you know what? There's this bubble thing, right? Like a bubble comes over here to the left, so you press that baby down like whack-a-mole, and then the bubble then shows up somewhere else over there, a little in, in the bubbly of the water, let's say, or, the, or this. And, and, and what it's like is, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. I've just forgotten what the point was because it's 1145 at night. Wait, we're talking about, <laughs> say, say it again. Oh, oh yeah. The used car thing. Understand. Oh, here's one. Yeah. Here's the bubble. All right. But, uh, um, so interest rates going up, financing on new cars and financing on old cars are, are both more expensive than they used to be. So you end up seeing that. And that's a direct result of the Fed having to raise the interest rates on, uh, because it's raised borrowing rates over 20 fold in a year. Right. Uh, trying to tamp down inflation. So you go after that and then it kind of goes up somewhere else and suddenly it's more expensive. Look what's happened to housing sales. They've been depressed. But but over the long term, I want you to know, I believe in this economy. The stock market has been showing. It's up. We thought it was a bear market. It turned into a bull market a few uh, weeks ago, meaning in other words, it's now up instead of down and it, it looks to be growing. I mean, I invested in this thing. A guy came on the podcast, what's bugging me to say, and at the end of the thing, I don't throw throw away. I said, give me a stock pick. And he says, fung you. I thought he was, you know, said, tell me to jump. <laughs> no, it, it's F-N-G-U. And it's a triple X leveraged, you know, tech thing. So I put, you know, I, it was at $45. I went ahead and invested like 5,000 bucks. It's up to like $180, okay? That's how crazy the market is. The market doesn't do that if really everything's going to fall apart six to nine months from now. And plus, as soon as we get into that election year, Rich, the Fed doesn't want Trump to get elected. I'm sorry. They are a political animal. They mm -hmm. never raised rates except once in the Obama administration of eight years Trump comes in vowing to grow the economy faster because we're a tepid 2% growth each year on average for the previous 10. He comes in and the Fed raises rates seven times in a row. Hey, welcome to office, Mr. President. So once we get into that 2024, babe, the Fed's going to either stop raising or it's going to actually start easing rates and sending it down. And stocks go up. When interest rates go down, it's really weird, but it's because your money, it wants to flow to the richest place that will let it grow. And so right. if interest rates go down and you're paying less interest on putting your money inside a bank or inside a bond, you know, where else should it go? And suddenly stocks say, hey, come on, let me take you for a ride. And you put it into there and the stocks go up. So the October surprise is going to be uh, lower interest rates, uh, things going down yeah. to spur investment to make Biden look good. Exactly. And it'll start happening probably with the, like, like, like the start of the second half. I'll bet you it's going to happen. And that's what the market's saying right now, I think. Wow. All right, Dennis Neal, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We're on with Dennis Neal, former uh, CNBC host, uh, all around great guy. He's the host of uh, the What's Bugging Me podcast on Ricochet. 
Check them out. Make sure you check it out. It's an excellent show, not just because I've been on it, but because it really is a good show. And I want you to check it out uh, while we uh, hit this break. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, let's hit the phones very quickly with our guest, Dennis Neal, on the line, host of the What's Bugging Me podcast. Let's go to Frank in Akron, Ohio, W-I-N-R. Frank, very quickly, go right ahead. Thanks, Rich. Hey, we got serious problems with Beijing boys, CCP boys, and their proxy companies all around the world and trying to buy into America and buy it out from underneath it. Mm. They're going to try and collapse this financially from under inside. That means they'll be having people trying to join the stock market trade to play their games in the stock market. Is that going to push everything faster to digital currency? And is that going to collapse the banks here? I appreciate it. Uh, Dennis Neal, is that going to push us to a digital currency and collapse the banks in the United States, China? Well, that's a pretty bleak, dark outlook, right? And suddenly we're in an awfully dark place. So let's just cross our fingers and make sure that doesn't happen. But the but the caller, uh, Frank, brings up a couple of really good points, right? I think that in the American economy, we have been asleep at the switch as the Chinese has moved in, they've bought up land, right? They've got, I think this, the figure somewhere around $1.7 trillion in U.S. assets that they own. They give money to economic think tanks. You know, Lou Dobbs, the former Fox anchor, feels like many economists in the U.S. have been bought off by the Chinese. If you're a big giant bank like a J.P. Morgan, you can't afford to ignore the Chinese or hurt the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, you hope to do business with them. All of business has been lusting after China's, you know, more than a billion people for 20 or 30 years, even as we then let China rip us off, rip up off our intellectual property. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. thing that worries me about China, guys, is they just don't care. They don't care however much we don't like it. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate the call. Dennis Neal, great point. And I can't trust China further than I can throw them. But in the seconds that we have remaining, let everybody know how they could follow you, subscribe to your podcast, and keep up to speed with what you're doing. Well, you know what? If you guys out there would check out at Dennis Neal, okay, K-N-E-A-L-E. And I'm shadow banned on Twitter. You can't get through, so try to break through it. <laughs> and there you go. And, and Rich uh, Valdez is one of the very best we have on what's bugging me. He's terrific. He's uh, lightning bolts. The check is in the mail. Dennis Neal, I appreciate it, brother. Check out his podcast, What's Bugging Me. And for, uh, make sure you give us a call. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, there's a movie out, The Sound of Freedom. And it's, I think it hit $40 million at the box office this weekend. It's it's a second week right now. Um, Kudos to them for doing an amazing job. Movies about uh, trafficking, right? Sex trafficking. And there's there's a a ton of that that actually is, is going on that we oftentimes don't hear about, don't know about. I don't discuss often enough. I try to do it as often as I can here because I think it's an important issue and one that we should not allow to get, you know, swept under the rug for whatever reason. And voila, here we are. Uh, We've got a news report coming out of Camp Pendleton. And I tell you, this is just uh, so disheartening. Listen to this. Investigators, the young girl who had run away before but always returned home quickly, went missing the week before. I would also like to please ask for respect for my family. On June 28th, the teen was located inside the barracks at Camp Pendleton. Since the base is federal property, Naval Criminal Investigative Services is handling the investigation with the assistance of the Sheriff's Department and San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force. The victim's family vowing to continue their fight for answers. I will not rest until the whole world knows. And those responsible are held accountable and justice justice is served. Camp Pendleton officials say as of Thursday, the Marine had not been charged and remains in custody of his command. So this is a big story here, um, in my opinion. Right, A 14-year-old girl was found in Camp Pendleton barracks. Uh, may have met a Marine on Tinder, according to documents. The uh, investigative documents are giving more insight into the timeline in the events that led to this 14-year-old girl who was missing for weeks before being discovered at the barracks of uh, a junior Marine at Camp Pendleton in California. Now, The young girl at the heart of the story, she was been missing since June. Federal investigators concluded that she had been at Camp Pendleton for only about 24 hours and appeared to have met the Marine that she went to meet, uh, whose barracks um, she would uh, come to stay in. She'd only met him a day earlier. So we don't know what her status was just yet. But fascinating to to see what's going on here, how these things happen. And people just oftentimes don't care enough, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I'll throw, you know, over here, I'll do this, I'll go whatever, blah, blah, blah. But does that mean that we're actually making a difference? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to venture to say that we're not making enough of a difference in how we deal with this stuff and how much attention we pay to it. And again, when you have a 14-year-old girl that's meeting up with a Marine, we've got a problem. I mean, it's it's that simple. Uh, let me give you the phone number so you could join the conversation. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 833-482-5337-8334-VALDEZ. 
Uh, let's go to Matt Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, I, I missed the general earlier, but I would like to ask him, so I'll ask you, as I told Art, how many hundreds of billions of dollars? I'm all for helping Ukraine, don't get me wrong. But how many hundreds of billions of dollars, number one point, can America spend on Ukraine? And number two point is, as I told Art, it's an impeachable offense for Joe Biden to tell the world we're low on howitzer ammunition. What's your opinion, sir? Yeah, I think, listen, if we're going to impeach Joe Biden, we should impeach him over what he's done with the border. Uh, there's been a, a tremendous amount of decisions and actions that he's uh, that he's presided over that would, in my opinion, get him to 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 in front of an impeachment committee. Um, that being said, I don't know that that current charge would stick, but why not? Right. Really? Why not? I don't think the standard of the burden of proof is that high lamentably. And, and I think, uh, I think he knows that's eventually coming. So he's, you know, he tries to downplay it as often as he, as he, he's able to now the, the other, um, point, what was the other point? Forgive me. Oh, forget about cocaine in the White House. I just swept out of the rug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that is a that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, uh, I was talking about that earlier with somebody. I'm thinking, you know, what, what, an interesting time to be alive to see that this is an actual real thing that's occurring in our White House. I mean, that to me is is amazing. Uh, you would think that if we're going to have a story like that, that there would be a, a secondary story, you know, saying, oh, we've, you know, we, we now have uh, the person. We know exactly who did it. We know how it got there. But nope, we find cocaine in the White House. Nobody is any wiser. Nobody knows anything. We've uh, you know, evacuated it. And yet still nothing. Nada. I, I find that incredibly difficult to believe. But that's where we are, Matt. And, and it's, it's a shame, to say the least. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, anyway, I appreciate the call, and uh, your guess is as good as mine. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. This is America at Night with Rich. Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So you have developed this reputation. I don't know if you like this or not. As a firebrand, what do people get wrong about you or not know about you? Um, I think very often when I meet with colleagues or individuals that I had not met with before, um, they 
are surprised that I do my homework a lot. <laughs> I know when I had my first hearing. Are you a little nerdy and people don't know oh, this? Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> a little. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, it's like when I had my first hearing with Michael Cohen, people were surprised that I tried to ask substantive questions. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is this idea that you somehow can't both be an effective communicator and discuss and challenge the bounds of our political imagination on substantive grounds. And I think we can do both, and I think we should do both. All right, that's uh, good old AOC all out crazy. I uh, have nicknamed her that. Our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, uh, talking about how she does a lot of uh, show prep, right? She does a lot of homework, so she knows what she's talking about. Now, listen. There's very few things I like more than taking shots at AOC. But I will say she is an effective communicator. She has a ton of people that are following her that, um, you know, sympathize with her. And and that's, you know, she is a force to be reckoned with. She is, uh, lamentably, right? But she, she says and what people get wrong about her is that she does her homework. And she also goes on to say she has no idea if she's going to remain in Congress or not. And this is like a five-year plan type of thing. Listen to this. So I know you're not going to talk about 10 to 15 years from now. I don't know what I'm doing 10 to 15 years from now. But in five years, are you going to be in Congress? I mean, we maybe. You know, I think... um, I've always tried to approach my service in a way of what really I think would be best for people. And if it would be best for me to continue my service, um, then I will. If it's best for me to continue my service in a, in a different form, then I hope to do that like as well. Like in the Senate, for example. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were not in Congress, because you're passionate about a lot of things, mm-hmm. what would you be doing? I think... I mean, before I ever even thought about being in Congress, I've always been passionate about teaching and writing. And so maybe I would have been a teacher. Oh, good Lord. That might have been even worse. She might have more contact with uh, young, impressionable minds than she currently does. And um, the, the, again, audio clip you're listening to is all out crazy AOC, uh, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. Now, listen, here's what I'll say. AOC, very, very special. Does she know if she'll be in Congress? Look, I don't know if she'll be in Congress either. I would venture to say that if she prepared herself at this point with the right people around her, she likely will. She likely will. It's, of course, it's any man's game, but it seems like um, we can see a repeat of history. Now, what, what I find remarkable here about good old AOC, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, is how how flippant she is in her conversation with Jen per circle back Pasaki. And it's it's all fluff, right? It, there's been other instances where where she's been critical and, and she sounds critical. But now it's kind of like just all fluff. It's like, no, I'm here, this is what we're doing. Everything seems so whimsical, like she doesn't really care. Like she doesn't have a, a dog in this fight. And I, and I think when it comes to that part of life where you're dealing with people that are either 
you know, for you or against you or that believe in what you believe or don't, I think it's important that you, um, you're able to align yourself with people that have the same beliefs. And for me, AOC is not one of those people, right? She's one of the people that, um, she probably has more in, in tune with the Castro's and the Castro regime than any American. And I'm not trying to take a cheap shot. I'm trying to create contrast here that as a Democrat socialist, she, um, she fits that mold, right? Anyway, that's my thoughts on AOC. We're going to continue. Um, actually we won't continue just yet. We'll, we'll continue now. I want to keep going because I want, I have one more AOC that I want to play for you. And this one is where she's going after Ron DeSantis. And she says that Governor DeSantis is attacking schools, attacking teachers, and attacking LGBTQ plus Americans. And that his attacks have gone way too far. Saying that this is a profound political miscalculation. Listen to this. You're also a pretty politically astute observer. There is a presidential race that's happening right now. Donald Trump, people think, some say, is the easiest person for Joe Biden to run against. What do you think about that? Well, the easiest potential Republican nominee, yeah. I should say. I think there's something to be said about that. The, the dynamics of these races change from day to day. I think that... Uh, Governor DeSantis has made some very large critical errors, and I think he's weaker than... What are his biggest errors, do you think, as you've watched? Well, you can't out-Trump Trump, right? And that's what he's really been trying to do. His attacks on teachers, on schools, on LGBT Americans, I think go way too far in the state of Florida. Um, and... I think that they are a profound political miscalculation and an overcompensation. Um, he may be trying to win a base, but that base belongs to Donald Trump. And he has sacrificed, I think, the one thing that others may have thought would make him competitive, which is this idea that he would somehow be more rational than Donald Trump, which he isn't. You know, this is one of the few times that I think AOC might be onto something, right? I do believe that uh, Governor DeSantis, and I'm not joining her in, in, in beating on him. No, I'm just um, making the point here that there's not another governor in this country that has kind of carved out a space for himself as being the anti-woke governor, right? I think that's that's what DeSantis is and where, where he's um, thrived in that space. However, I will say... He's not being that guy on the campaign trail. It's not him versus wokeism. It's him versus Trump. And if you don't take Trump on directly, then you're not taking him on. And I think this is what she's alluding to. And it's what uh, I observe as well. So that's uh, my thought on that. I'd love to get your thoughts on that as we move forward. 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And also wanted to bring you to a little bit of a lighter story. And this is an interesting one. And I will put this out on the social media so you can see it because it's fascinating to me. Burger King's new real cheeseburger. So it's called, quote unquote, real cheeseburger. 20 slices of cheese are included in this sandwich. Yep, not kidding. 
20 slices of cheese. Now, this was released in Bangkok. Burger King's causing a big stir in Thailand with its new offering, a burger with no meat and a ton of cheese. I mean, it looks like a cheese burger, (laughs) a cheese sandwich, right? I mean, it's just absolutely insane here. The item launched on their menus uh, just this past Sunday, and they reduced the price. Just, you know, obviously, introductory rate and all that. And uh, compared with the usual price, it's quickly going viral on social media. So we shall see what happens with the um, full uh, the full trajectory of this. Um, let me, I don't want to ruin the name here. I'm not going to misgender the cheeseburger. Uh, it's called the real cheeseburger. And it's literally one slice of cheese after another slice of cheese. If you like cheese, go for it. I like the actual burger. And uh, they took that away uh, when they replaced it with this thing with tons and tons and tons of cheese. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, Folks, give us a call. The number, if you want to get through, 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDES is the phone number. And we're going to continue our conversation straight ahead as well as anything you want to talk about. And remember, if you missed any of our guests at any point on this program, you can go to the website, Rich Valdez America at Night, Rich Valdez America at Night dot com. And you can you can get pretty much everything there, right? You can get the latest shows. You can get anything that we have um, archived on there. It's available. You can also subscribe to the podcast once you're there and you could stream it right from the website or you can wait for uh for it to go you know through your application for why am i drawing a blank here for your podcast application excuse me and you could click subscribe on that as well i mean tons of ways to listen to the show especially on our website anyway the music means they're kicking me out but we're coming back And we're going to continue our discussion, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's uh, Joe Biden commenting on NATO. Uh, We had some conversation on that earlier. If you missed it, you can always check it out. Uh, Once this program ends, it'll automatically be uploaded to our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Let's uh, hit the phones, get your opinions on things. 
Let's go to Ken Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. How are we doing tonight? Wonderful. Thank God, Ken. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Great show, as always. You you, you just have really good guests, Rich. Uh, you really Thanks. do. I but, appreciate uh, that. It's very kind. I, well, you're welcome. You deserve it. Uh, I uh, was thinking that the reason our, our great leader, when he's over in Europe, uh, that didn't attend the dinner, the NATO <laughs> dinner, uh, he conveniently uh, skipped the dinner, and I think he doesn't want to answer any European reporters' questions. And his staff said that he worked over the 4th of July weekend at Camp David, so he's kind of tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, I don't know what to make of this anymore. I'm so embarrassed by the lack of leadership coming out of Washington. I'm so embarrassed by uh, Joe Biden's constant portrayal of weakness on the world stage. And, and it, it just it's very disheartening, to, to say the least. Ken, I don't know what to do. What do you recommend? Well, Rich, you know the Chinese and the Russians are just laughing at us. Oh, mm-hmm. they're just laughing at us. All the way to put it, but uh, I don't know what the answer is, Rich. Our world has been so turned over in the last ten years. I don't know up from down and down from up almost. But uh, I got a couple other little quick things I want to say. Sure, that go marine, ahead. I'll bring that, that marine in Camp California Pendleton. that had a fourteen. Yes, Camp Pendleton. So there was a fourteen-year-old in the barracks. I I always. Uh, was under the impression that they slept with a group of men in a barrack that they didn't have single barracks. I don't know. I don't know where she was meeting up with this person or how, if they had her sequestered or, or, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, kidnapped or hiding. I have no idea. I just find it. Uh, and that was an ABC news report. I, I don't know the, the ins and outs. I do know that it's a crazy story that a girl that's been missing for, for a while is you know identified as being there and i think man this is definitely a a tough position for one to be in in particular for the um the young lady that is you know being held uh presumably against her will so uh as i learn more you guys will learn more i'll keep you up to speed on it but um yeah fascinating fascinating story i think you're uh spot on there you know we we have if nothing else we have a lot of questions that we need uh, answers to. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WILS. And let's see, where do we go from here? We go to Gainesville, Ohio, WSOY. Let's check in with Paul on WSOY. Go right ahead, Paul. Yeah, by the way, I'm streaming, Rich. Uh, the radio station I used to listen to doesn't play it anymore. They uh, have that guy talking about money, which is not very interesting because it's anybody <laughs> that has over a million dollars. Yeah, boring. Um, gotcha, so anyway, gotcha. I like well, welcome back, that. Paul. Thank you. Um, that uh, What's Burger King going to call this? The real cheeseburger? Because the real, yeah, quote-unquote real cheeseburger. Yeah, why don't you just throw some whipped cream on top of it there, Burger King? Oh. I mean, come on. If America isn't obese enough as it is, you know, that just – that chaps my behind. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, and, and I wanted to comment on one more thing um, sure. with the AOC. You know, I I heard her say that she might want to go into teaching. Rich, I mean, this is no offense to anybody, but she'd be on the short bus, dude. Because <laughs> she, this girl <laughs> this drives me crazy. You know, I, I, I cannot take her 
And, you know, I think I wish she would drop out of politics. Her and all those crazy, what do they call that, um, that squad that she's got? They call them the squad. Oh, yeah, or the something squad. like that. Yeah, why don't they all just drop out of politics? Because they, 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 they literally sound stupid. I mean, if you think that Donald Trump does not have a chance to win this presidential election, well, then I think you're crazy. Because, um, you know, Joe Biden, look at him. He, he, he's walking in front of the, the, the king over there. I can't remember uh, what, what, king Charles. Name, what. Yeah, King Charles. He should have walked beside him. And I know Donald Trump did it. And, boy, he got a lot of cloth from that. He sure did. But now, you never hear – yeah, you never hear a thing about Joe Biden doing it. So I just think we have a very uneven political system right now. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. But I'll listen to the Rich Vode. Oh, I messed it up. The Rich Valdez show, and um, and hear the uh, whole truth. And I also like that Blaine Holt. Hey, buddy, you should run for president. And that's about Blaine all. Blaine Holt say, isn't he mate, terrific? Rich. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. Man, he makes oh. sense. He makes a ton of sense. He does. One one of the one of the one of the few out there really knows this stuff and is able to make it make a lot of sense. Uh, Paul, great points. Uh, first of all, thanks for your kind words. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. AOC being a teacher, that's uh, a little bit suspect, right? What, what is exactly is she teaching us? Uh, and then we go beyond that. Uh, we look at what's happening with, with NATO and whatnot. Uh, interesting, right? It's a very interesting place. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts, which is why I try to bring in the, the experts from different areas because, you know, as much as we watch the news and we are armchair quarterbacks ourselves, it takes somebody who's been there multiple times and has that type of uh, muscle memory, right, if you will, to, to really, I think, break it down in a way that makes the most sense, um, both um, in a political situation, a dangerous situation, whatever situation you're in, they're, they're able to respond accordingly. And I don't think that, that that's the case in New York city or in other big cities across the country. So ultimately um, whether it's New York city, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Russia, whether it's AOC being a teacher, right? You put it all together and you think, man, this is a, a interesting situation for, for us to be in. And I don't know that I have the answer to that one either, but I've got New York city on my mind because I was in the city earlier today and I was just thinking of all the things that I saw there and thinking, it doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be getting worse, just like things uh, are getting uh, seemingly worse in Ukraine. So um, take that for what it's worth. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. Investigation into the cocaine at the White House. The Secret Service indicated that they're closer to. Yeah, I don't have any updates, as you know. As you just mentioned, Secret Service is under their purview. They are certainly investigating uh, the situation. I just don't have anything updated. I would I would refer you to the Secret Service on that particular question. That's uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, again, uh, just running away from the truth, not answering what happened with this cocaine that was found in the White House, whose it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, listen, uh, the White House isn't the only place that's in a shambles. It really isn't. Uh, there's, there's other places. We just talked about New York City, but there's more, right? Los Angeles is uh, out of control. They just implemented the zero bail policy that was um, reinstated back in May and uh, the rapper 50 Cent he says that it's it's over right that it's um, let me see if I got the quote correct right here LA is finished after they go back to this no bail policy and I agree with him I think we've seen it happen uh, like I mentioned in New York and we're seeing in a lot of places the, the domestic onslaught of, of people just destroying their own city. And it's sad. It's very sad. But that's, um, that's the situation that, that we're in. And uh, 50 Cent, he, he takes to, to social media and he, and he makes the, these comments. He's uh, 48 years old now, by the way, Curtis Jackson. And he says, watch how bad it gets out there. Shaking his head. He also... Um, included uh, in his comments that removing bail for individuals charged with misdemeanors or nonviolent felonies, similar to the controversial reforms um, in, in New York, would uh, eventually be the, the downfall of the city. And uh, yeah, I think so. When you know, when people know they're not going to be arrested or if an arrest is not something or you're held, until you can bail yourself out, but something that you can just uh, becomes kind of flippant, and that's exactly the attitude people will have. And uh, it's it's a shame that you have a ra- you know it takes a rapper from from uh, from the East Coast to call it out on the West Side, but it's going to happen here too, and it's happening right, and we've seen it happen. I think there's some brave uh, men and women out there that are trying to slow things down and stem the, the rise in crime and, and kudos to them for doing that. But we are in rough shape. And when the rapper 50 Cent comes out and says, hey, look, this is where we're at. We're in really bad shape. You know that we're in really bad shape. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want to remind you that there is a new verdict that has been issued on ring cameras. I'll get to what that verdict is and and the new description attached to the ring cameras when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And ring cameras are apparently racist. The, the company um, putting that out there, according to Wired Magazine, they want you to know that ring cameras are racist and you shouldn't buy them. Yep. Uh, listen to this. This is a tweet from Zaid Jelani. It says, a few days after a ring camera caught several teens on camera confessing to a shooting and killing a Lyft driver in Washington, D.C., Wired says they don't recommend ring cameras because they let you easily send video to the police. And this should be more difficult, right? Again, after uh, making an opinion or posting an opinion about about this particular situation, I, I just, I'm, I'm floored by this. Floored by this, that this thing catches uh, some teens killing someone in Washington, D.C., and they're like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, you know, we, we're going to pass on this. This is not a, a good thing. It's racist. We don't want them. We don't want them. I think that's out of control, out of control personally. Anyway, I'd like to get um, your thoughts on this. Let's go to uh, Robert Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead. Okay, uh, Rich, I, I'll comment on that and also on the on the 14-year-old girl who went to the Marine Barracks, too, sure. if, if you'd like. Um Okay, with regard to to, to, the, to the camera, I think it's wonderful that that, that they got that on on a camera that that's people can a guy confessing to having murdered somebody like that. That's wonderful. I mean, that that brings the murder rate down. That's good for all of us. There's nobody who doesn't benefit from that. We we should find a way to to to, to keep that going. I I think. What do you think? Oh yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I just think the idea that they're saying we shouldn't have these cameras because they're racist is crazy. It's crazy to say the camera's racist, obviously, because of who they caught on, on the camera. And, and it just, uh, to me, is, is more of the, of the same when, when we're dealing with um, the radicals on the, on the left. But l- listen to this. Um, they, they, they make the, I guess, the um, assertion here that the ring camera allows its owners to send video that they've captured with their ring video doorbell camera and outdoor security cameras to law enforcement. This is a feature unique to ring. Uh, even next door, a competitor removed its forward to police feature back in 2020, which allowed next door users to forward their own safety posts to local law enforcement agencies. If a crime had been committed, law enforcement should obtain a warrant to access a uh, civilian's video footage. Now, these are two separate arguments, right? Nobody's saying that you should not obtain a warrant to to get a video. Um, what the, the case they're making is that it's inherently racist because in that story that I'm sharing with you, there, there is um, some some ambiguity here, right? They're saying, well, because somebody of color got in trouble this is clearly racist. I'm thinking, no, that's crazy. I mean, you take it to the tape, you take it to the tape. If you have a tape and it shows someone of color breaking the law, that's what it shows. If it shows someone that's white or Asian or anything else, it's going to show what it is. And and this is where I have a problem with people that just refuse to accept the truth. 
you have to accept the truth. When you start to embrace this idea of relativism, Robert and everybody else, honestly, um, and it's not directed towards you, just we happen to be on the phone together, you start to create your own truth. And as you create your own truth, you can create whatever truth you want, but there has to be some some reality to it. And, and I think this is where they go um, uh, off the reservation here where they're making stuff up and it just isn't the case. So yeah, ring cameras are not racist. Uh, and if you have a property and you have the space for them, have as many ring cameras as you like. I think it's a good thing. You're right. I mean, after all, it brings up the specter that the policeman comes around, comes over, puts the handcuffs around the ring camera and hauls the ring camera off to jail for being racist. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's that insane. <laughs> I get it. And what was the other point you wanted to make? Um, you know, the other point I was trying to make is that that 14 year old girl who went over to the Marine Corps barracks, well, after all, she's the one who, who got on the computer and she's the one who found that guy and she's the one who walked over or over there or got herself over there. And she's the one who did the overnighters there or whatever she was doing there. And, 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 you, and, and, and it doesn't sound like she was doing it against her will by any means. So, 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 so why does everybody presume it's against her will? And why does everybody presume she's the, she's the victim or anything like that? It doesn't sound like well, to me like she was the victim. You know? I'll say this. Look, I think if if you're driving a car down the road and a kid jumps out in front of your car and you run the kid over, the question of fault becomes secondary to the fact that a kid just got hit, right? And when it comes to a 14-year-old girl, um, I don't think that it, it, I'm going to fault a 14-year-old girl for for doing, and again, I don't know that she went of her own volition or not. I don't know. It says that she'd been missing uh, for, for quite a while before getting there, two weeks. She was already missing for two weeks. So I think it, it becomes a question of, are we going to blame the victim for being a victim, for being coerced? How, why? I think there's a lot of facts that we still have to find out. Um, to put the, the, the blame squarely upon a 14-year-old girl, I think um, I'd have to think long and hard before I did something like that. Now, if she shot somebody in the head, I'd say, look, she thought that out, and now it's clear. But something like uh, sneaking out or maybe we don't know if she snuck out or not. So I think it's premature to make uh, an assessment like that. But interesting conversation uh, nonetheless. Thank you, Robert, for your call. Big shout-out to everybody in South Carolina on WTMA. Great station. Great morning show there, by the way. And um, we're going to continue our conversations and great radio programming right here on this station. Until then, until the next time, hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. And we're going to do it all again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.